0: Welcome to Wellspring On The Air. I'm Judith Lemus, a therapist at Wellspring and the host of today's show about how to navigate the LD-ADHD parenting journey. With me today to discuss this important topic is Patricia Ritzema. She's our guest and one of the two authors of the book, How Do I Navigate the LD-ADHD Journey? Together, we want to help bring a deeper understanding for parents and others on how they can be equipped with parenting children with learning disabilities and ADHD so stay with us we've got some very needed conversations about parenting learning disabilities and ADHD just for you welcome Patricia we're so glad to have you
1: thank you I feel honored to be here wonderful
0: can you just tell us a little bit more about yourself so we can get an idea of who you are and what you're doing
1: All right. Well, right now, I'm a retired educator. I've been in education my whole career. Um, I taught little ones how to read in preschool, kindergarten, first grade, taught in clinical schools, Christian schools, public schools, and um, pretty much interacted with every age level. And um, through all those years of teaching, I really Um, was always intrigued with the one who had difficulty learning, because it wasn't Mm. just difficult for them. It was a challenge for the teacher and very challenging for the parents. And so um, years went on, and my co-author, Myrna Isom, wrote a book for schools and how to help kids. But Mm. then parents would say, but what about us, the parents? And so our hearts just went out to them and she began to write a book for them. And it's kind of an odd story, but she kept hearing my voice in um, her head because we had um, worked together in uh, learning disability programs, Christian Mm -hmm. schools. And so she thought, ha, God is telling me to invite her to join me. And so she did. And the rest is history. We've spent many years um, working on, this is the cover of the book, um, Mm -hmm. How Do I Navigate the L.D. ADHD Parenting Journey? And we are calling it a compass, a compass for faith, understanding, love, and learning.
0: That's amazing. And what a wonderful calling to reach out to something that affects so many people's lives more than we might expect. So why don't we reflect a bit on these topics of learning disabilities and ADHD? Can you tell us a little bit on how prevalent it is or how parents can recognize this in in their children if they're dealing with it?
1: Sure. Um, The statistics keep changing, and it depends where you look. But uh, Understood is a very good publication, and they say that um, probably out of 7 million children in the United States getting help, at least 2.4 million have some sort of learning or thinking or attention issues. Um, yeah, and so it could be as much as one in five. And so very rarely has there been a teacher who hasn't had one or more children who have a difficult time attending or learning or just producing um, the, results of who they really are. And um, in terms of of identifying it, it can be Mm -hmm. very, very complicated. And I think even more so today with the pandemic and the stress. Yeah. But I do believe that in our experience, it just seems like it takes several years. Like maybe the preschool teacher might say something of a concern and then the kindergarten teacher And then maybe the first grade teacher. And it often takes at least three um, discussions with parents before Mm -hmm. they, um, you know, really begin to entertain it as a serious thing. Now, of course, some just struggle terribly and they just immediately ask for help. But we find fourth grade is a very common place uh, because, you know, grades one through three preschool through three uh three children are learning how to read but in fourth grade it shifts and now you're reading to learn and if your reading is not what it needs to be you can understand why it is begins to be a real problem for the child and the the family as they do their Mm -hmm. homework
0: yeah, it sounds like before, if a child is struggling before like fourth grade, okay, we, we can help them continue to learn. But now when everything depends on their ability to read, you can really see that big difference there. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So what are maybe some different types of learning disabilities? Uh, we have ADHD. Are there any other types of learning disabilities that we could know about?
1: Yeah, the, the, the most common are uh, dyslexia. Everybody' okay. seems to have heard of that, dysgraphia. Um, <clears throat> and um, but there are many other processing kind like verbal processing, auditory processing, nonverbal processing. Uh, people often hear a lot about the exec- executive functioning
0: mm-hmm. um, which
1: is the planning and following through. So it, it can have very, you know diverse labels. Um, but it can affect almost every subject. And it isn't just like, say, if it's uh, dyslexia, it isn't just reading. It can be organization, it can be sequencing, it oh, can okay. be, uh, wow. affect numbers for many people. They, they skip numbers, reverse numbers. Um, so, it, it, but it does seem to affect almost every subject, you know, in some way or another. Um, and that's why it's so important uh, to have an assessment. And many, many parents are very reluctant, you know, to get an assessment because, hey, mm-hmm. it's expensive. And uh, unless you do it, you know, through the public school, and I don't know how it is in Florida right now, but here it can, you can be on a waiting list for a year or more because Mm -hmm. it's so prevalent. And so then parents are getting anxious and then they do it privately. And of course, then privately, it's much more expensive. And the main and only purpose really for a label is because it tells a clinician how to intervene. Like I would Mm -hmm. not teach an ADD child the way I would teach a dyslexic child. I would not teach a, a verbal processing child, perhaps the way I would teach a dyslexic child. So it really is the information that the clinician needs to meet the child's
0: needs. Okay. Yeah. And that's an excellent way of putting it. I know that sometimes some of those words just sound like frightening and and big and and so, so strange for parents and for children. But like you said, it's a descriptor of like, how can we best help this child? And that's all that it is. Yes. Wonderful way to put it. Um, So we talked about some of the other learning disabilities. What about ADHD? Is that just one thing? Are there different types that we should be aware of?
1: ADHD is a very complicated topic, as you probably know. Um, The DSM-5, which is the um, manual uh, that describes uh, disabilities, says there's three there's attentive you know the difficulty with attention um and then there's uh hyperactive you know with the impulsivity and then there's the combined so they they call it three there's a very famous uh doctor dr aman and he believes there are seven different types like one of them is ring of fire which is anger Mm -hmm. And um, so they are even further descriptive, you know, the anxiety one and the ring of fire, the angry one. And um, so those are just really good descriptors. And he has a wonderful book out about the seven types of um, ADHD. But, you know, with anxiety and depression being on the rise, it can mimic ADD. Because you can be very sensitive nice. if things in your life are not going well, uh, or death, or or um, being bullied, um, mm-hmm. and that's why it takes a, a good assessment to weed out um, you know all the different aspects of of what is going on in a child's life, and we have a little formula called FID F I D, and F stands for frequency, like. How often does this happen? And um, we usually like to say, you, you wanna see it more than six months because six mo- within that six month period, it could be a death, it could be uh, trauma, could be a lot okay. of things. <clears throat> and then I is intensity, like how intense is it? Um, do you see it everywhere? And is it interfering with school and home? Um, and then duration, how long has it been going on? And um, so we kind of look at all of that, you know, as we begin to take a look at um, the intensity and the frequency um, because we don't want to jump to a conclusion. And then of course there's the whole thing about medication and you know, everyone is against medication and there are all these articles around, uh, ADHD and how we're over medicating our children. Um, mm-hmm. We always say medication is a last resort. You know, okay. there are there's strategies, there's diet, there's, you know, sleep, there's many uh, alternative, nat- more natural interventions. Mm-hmm. And we rec- recommend doing all of those first. But if it doesn't work and the child is suffering and the family is suffering, Uh, we encourage them to give it a trial. It doesn't have to last forever. It might not be the right thing, but for the people that it has worked for, it's a miracle. I I remember this little girl, she was finally put on medication in seventh grade. She came skipping into my room after school. I was the counselor at that Mm -hmm. time in middle school. And she said, Mrs. Ritzma." I thought that listening was trying to slow down the words to make sense. And I sat in science class today without trying and I understood every word. Oh, wow. She said it was like I, when I got glasses, it's like I looked out and I saw leaves on the tree.
0: Mm-hmm. That's
1: how it felt with the medication. So when you hear stories like that over and over again, you don't want parents to just say no for sure mm-hmm. you know what I mean? mm-hmm. keep your mind open and, you know make it a, a last resort okay strategies
0: <laughs> yeah and I'm absolutely hearing like what you said that um how important it is to have a good assessment, to understand where are the places that need some help, whether that be which type of learning disability, or it sounds like you said, it might not even be a learning disability in the moment. It could be something else that's affecting them, Um, and knowing that is what helps them help them in the best way, whether it be some sort of strategy um, or whether it be maybe eventually medication, um, having in a good assessment definitely sounds crucial. So we're going to take a short break to thank one of our sponsors who makes the production of our podcast possible. When we come back, we'll hear more from Patricia on how to navigate the LD ADHD parenting journey. Welcome back to Wellspring on the Air. This is Judith Lemus. If you are just joining our show, our topic today is how to navigate the LD ADHD parenting journey. So far, we've talked a little bit about what is a learning disability? What is ADHD? The symptoms, diagnosis, and the importance of really good assessments. So if you joined us late, you can find us on your favorite podcast channel on Wellspring on the Air or on our website blog page at wellspringmiami.org. Just search for this topic, how to navigate the LD ADHD parenting journey. So Patricia, we've talked about learning disabilities and ADHD and a little bit about your book on it. Uh, what can you tell us then, having understood a little bit more about this topic, how do we approach it? How do we approach it as parents and people involved in the lives of children with learning disabilities and ADHD?
1: Well, that is really um, the crux of the purpose of our book. We, we wanted to give parents hope, encouragement, inspiration, resources, and how to go through the whole process.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: the way we approached it in the book is helping parents to have a certain mindset and a certain skill set. And so the mindset um, is. It starts with our faith, our faith that we have a God who loves us, who loves our child, who has a purpose for their life, who knew him or her before they were, you know, born. And, um, and when we have that kind of uh, faith and belief the, that the Bible can be our guidebook and the Holy Spirit can be our guide, We as parents can feel supported Mm -hmm. as we navigate what can be very turbulent waters, especially in the very beginning. Um, In the book, we call it the uncharted journey, you know, the unexpected journey. You have that baby and you just expect everything is going to be, you know, relatively perfect. And then they go to, and maybe it is until they go to school. And then the teachers start bringing up things and it can be very, very disconnected. Asserting, and it may demand things from us that we don't even feel we have in us. So I just think that that's the mindset that we try to create: hope, faith, love, and um, and then toward the end of the book, we talk about the skill set, and we spend two whole chapters on how to deal with a younger child, and then how to deal with an older child. You know. With, with many different um, strategies. Um, but that forward thinking, um, the big perspective, and then looking at the whole child. So many times we just look at what's wrong and then mm-hmm. we compare our child to our cousins or, or the neighbors or the other children. And parents can get their hopes dashed, right? Their dream of what their child could be, should yeah. be. And it's very painful. So we talk a lot about acceptance, you know, what is, is, but knowing that um, it isn't finished yet. God is not finished yet. And so when we think about that and we think about our whole child who may not be doing very well in, in, say, the academic subjects, but they can dance and they can paint and they can sing and, then we we can put it into perspective that God has got a different path for them. Mm-hmm. And these may be difficult paths, but um, it can build character, can build endurance, it can build skills that they would not otherwise have. So we try to shift that perspective into something um, larger and something that um, you know that just reminds us to trust God.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And it does sound like maybe some of the um ideas of what it means to have like a successful child or a child that um accomplishes a lot of things of value. We parents and the society around us tell us, you know, this is what a successful child looks like, and this is, you know, what a child who contributes looks like. Um and, and it sounds like we get really narrowed down on those things.
1: Yeah. And so we do talk a lot about the home and how important the home is because school is one part of the day. But if parents are at home evenings and weekends, um, letting them utilize their gifts, you know, take art classes and music classes and uh, baseball and, you know, Mm -hmm. things that they love to, to prove to them, you know, this is not all of school. Is not all of your life. You have all of these other gifts. So we help them to try to look at their whole child, just like you mm. know in, in the Bible where we talked about Jesus and how he grew in stature, right? And he grew physically, mentally, even even as Christ. And so we talk a lot about, um, you know, about that sort of thing. Um, we talk a lot about relationships because outside of school. Well, in school as well, we talk a lot about bullying and how to deal it, deal with it, mm-hmm. because they can really be victims. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also talk about siblings and parents and grandparents and coaches and um, music teachers and other people who can love the, our child, see different portions and parts of our child, and can reinforce, you know, that mm-hmm. behavior. And um, having an LD child can be very hard on a family. Um, Divorce is way higher in uh, homes of special needs children than it is in a regular uh, home. And siblings often get very jealous because that child may demand more help. And so it's important that the parent can look at all the children and remind them that they will be there for each of them in whatever way they need them. but disability, you know, LD or ADHD is a hidden disability. There are no mm-hmm. glasses, no canes, no wheelchairs. Mm-hmm. And so people often say, oh, they're lazy. They just want attention, you know, and, and just add to the very negative feeling that the child already has. And so we talk a lot about their confidence and building their confidence and um you know, like I said, allow them to shine in other areas.
0: Okay. Yeah. Is there anything else that we can know about how we can go about building sustainable coping mechanisms? Well,
1: yes. I, in the book, I talk a lot about um, coming up with what I call a, a, like a log (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, and a toolbox. And so we share a lot of tools, and I think all of us to uh, navigate life need tools, right? Like I I have breathing and oils and you know what I mean? Uh, And so we speak a lot in the book about um, different tools and different um, strategies that that can be put into place. Um, And one of them, I think, is understanding the child. You know how all philosophers say know thyself and there are lots of different little surveys and tests that you can determine whether your child's what i call a chunker or a splitter um, chunkers like to put everything together they like to make piles they're just more comfortable that way and if the mother's a splitter and a splitter is somebody who likes to file everything in separate files and do sequencing and time management and if the mother's one and the child's the other you can just see the conflict so just understanding the child's style of learning, his brain, um, the way his brain functions, you know, in time and space. Um, I just think those are very important places to start. You know, know thyself and know thy child. And then um, brain health. I talk, We talk quite a bit about brain health, mm-hmm. because when you really think about it, Um, We do not like the word learning disability, and we used to work very hard at um, words like neurodiversity or a learning difference, but because all the legal um, documents are all written around learning disability, it just seems our culture has, you know, grasped and hung to that uh, idea of disability. But we like to talk about it as a different ability. And, uh, but it all functions, it starts in the brain, how the brain is organized. And of course, we know many things now that we didn't know before. The number one wonderful thing is neurodiversity, which means that the brain changes, that you really can rewire the brain with new practices. And so to me, that is just a huge piece of hope as we teach kids and parents, new strategies that they can mm-hmm. rewire their brain but first it starts with the essentials being hydrated sleep proper nutrition perhaps some supplementation um, feeling like you belong and you're connected having your stress be reduced as much as possible and teaching them mm-hmm. stress reduction you know techniques um, and then having hobbies having things that make them feel really good about themselves. So brain health is very, um, you know, encompassing. And um, to me, all of that is part of the skill set that, you know, children have to be informed how important it is. Um, one I add that I think is huge is our words. Words mm-hmm. matter. And um, how we talk to ourselves, all that negative self-talk or how, you um, Our siblings speak to us about our learning, you know, calling people dumb, stupid, all of that. Um, So I I do a lot of talk about parents and how they can tell children what they want. Like, please bounce the ball outside, you know, or please um, tell me ahead of time, what time you need to leave, you know, that kind of thing, where instead of saying, you're always telling me the last minute, you know, we can teach them, we can model for them how to use our words you know, in a much more um, supportive and helpful way. So we do talk a lot about that. Um, and then, like I said, in the last two chapters, it's just filled with strategies. For the little ones, talks all about multi-sensory and how important it is to use your eyes, your hands, your ears, mm-hmm. your mouth, and, and do them simultaneously. There are little surveys online where you can decide if your visual is the strongest or your auditory is the strongest and then use that, you know, to your advantage. And then there are, um, you know, tracing letters and there are just uh, play. Uh, We talk a lot about play. Play is almost disappearing in our society Mm. because that is where they learn who they are and how autonomous they are and how to solve problems and, you know, rather than a coach saying out, you know, the kids in the game used to decide if they were out or not. Mm -hmm. And so I just think play is just, you know, a huge, huge piece. Um, And we have a chapter in the book called uh, rest and refuel. And that's for the kids, um, of course, but also for the parents. um, Because this, this can be long and hard sometimes. So we talk a lot about um, ways that that children can be refreshed and how they need to come home and it needs to be a safe place. And they need to feel like yeah. somebody has their back, that he is loved unconditionally. And I just think that um, we, we can't overemphasize that. So we do talk a lot about that in the book. Yeah. And then the whole idea of... Um, for parents, of capturing the journey. We we recommend journaling, uh, journaling through the different phases, and then one day going back and just seeing the progress. And not to journey alone, to get somebody to journal, uh, journey with, like a counselor or a teacher or a neighbor or a parent. And to be sure that those who are closest to you, like maybe grandparents and um siblings understand the disability um, and then that can take some pressure off always feeling like you have to um just you know explain it um, mm-hmm. and so each person has to know themselves and what does refuel how do they refuel because you cannot pour from an empty cup I, I went to a wedding this weekend with a, a young man I used to work with and his mom saved him by believing in him, making him successful, pointing out everything he could do well. And he is now in law school and he already has a seminary and he has dyslexia and ADD. And he is now uh, married in law school with a seminary degree and an undergraduate degree. So anything is possible, but it's, we can't do it alone. We need to have people to journey with. And I think that was the focus of our book, that if this book could come along and just encourage them and, you know, give them new strategies, new tools, new ways to look at their child. If it even just helped one, Mm -hmm. that was our goal.
0: That's awesome. This journey doesn't have to be a solo, lonely journey. There is so so much support that they can get um in this journey they are not alone awesome let us go ahead and start wrapping up patricia you've given us some great information about your book uh tell us where can we get this book
1: well right now it's on amazon you can either just type in my name uh patricia britzma or the name of the book and um it's on kindle and um that's where it is mainly right now
0: Okay. So we have the book available on Amazon and Kindle. So if anybody is interested, that's where you can find it. So it's time to close out this show. Thank you again, Patricia, so much for joining us today and shedding the light on the topic of how to navigate the LD ADHD parenting journey. We hope that all of our listeners uh, learned about learning disabilities and ADHD. Um, And that those that are on this parenting journey have gained some useful tips, useful insights, and gained some hope as they go ahead through this journey. And thank you again for joining our show today. If you joined this program midstream, you can find this show and others on podcasts at Wellspring on the Air or on our blog on wellspringmiami.org. The title of today's show again was How to Navigate the LD ADHD Parenting Journey. Encourage us and let us know you are listening by sending comments or questions to on the air at WellspringMiami.org. It's time to wrap up. This is Judith Lemus with Wellspring on the Air because hearts and minds matter.